Welcome to the podcast. I'm Shira Schoenberg. Massachusetts voters will be asked on question two on the November ballot whether to switch Massachusetts to a ranked choice voting system. The way ranked choice voting works is voters rank candidates in order of preference. The number of first choice votes each candidate gets is counted, and if a candidate gets more than 50% of the first choice votes, they win. If no one gets 50%, the candidate with the fewest first choice votes is eliminated, and each ballot that has a number one vote for that candidate will be recounted based on the voter's second choice. That continues until someone has a majority of first choice votes. Under the ballot question, ranked choice voting would be used for all multi-candidate state-level races and congressional races starting in January of 2022. It would not be used for the presidential race or for county commissioner or regional school committee races or for races where multiple people will be elected. We tried to get representatives of the two campaigns to appear together on the podcast but representatives of the no campaign refused to appear with Evan Falchuk, the chair of the Yes on Two campaign. They cited an interaction during a prior debate on the issue in which Evan implied that a ranked choice voting opponent had made a racist statement when the opponent cited studies regarding the impact of ranked choice voting among minority voters. So instead, you'll hear from each side separately. My first guest is Evan Falchuk, chair of the Yes on Two campaign. Evan is a former United Independent candidate for governor, and he's the current CEO of Village Plan, a Boston-based telehealth company. Evan, thank you for joining me. So why should Massachusetts adopt ranked choice voting? Ranked choice voting is a a simple upgrade to our democracy that gives voters a greater voice and more choices. It makes it so that voters never have to feel like their vote is wasted because they can always just vote for who they truly like without worrying that it might split the vote or they're gonna be voting for a spoiler. Um, But above all, it helps build consensus and uh, helps make sure that the majority wins and that the voters are heard. Although is switching systems from the one that we're using now that's pretty straightforward to one that is by definition more complicated, is that an invitation to have confusion for voters? You know, could it open up the door to more problems like mismarking ballots, things like that? Well, a lot of the the challenges we have today in our democracy is that voters feel as if they have to pick between the lesser of two evils or in a race like the fourth congressional district where there are nine candidates that they, they have to be strategic in how they vote. So our elections are are uh, not simple in America, but this is something that simplifies that problem by giving voters more power, more choices, more ability to reflect their true preferences. So I, 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 um, I see it as something that, that simplifies our election system rather than, than something that, that doesn't. Does it require voters to have more knowledge than they have now? If you have to you know, think about ranking four, five, six, seven candidates? Well, I I think voters are actually pretty smart and sophisticated now. Uh, It's possible that this will will encourage them to be more so. But I think the thing that voters don't have is the ability to vote their true preference. I think that's something that we see loud and clear from voters where they, they say they feel like they have to vote for the lesser of two evils, that they have to be strategic in how they vote. And it's giving voters a lot of power to be able to say to them, look, you can always put down your first choice as who you like. And if that person 
can't get the support to win, then your second choice will count. So it, it levels the playing field for new voices and new choices. I, I can say as a, as a former third party candidate myself, um, you know, voters want those kinds of candidates, but they feel as if they will be wasting their vote because they don't believe that uh, people outside the Democratic and Republican parties can, can win. Uh, but ranked choice levels the playing field for, for everybody. Why would this help independent or third party candidates like yourself? What would the impact be? You know, the big challenge that, that independent and third party candidates have is people believing that it's a waste of their vote to give it to an independent candidate. The belief that they don't have a chance to win, the belief that uh, they're going to be a spoiler, uh, that they're going to flip the election in a direction that they don't like. In ranked choice voting, that never happens. So you can, you can say to voters as an independent candidate or a third party candidate, put me down as your first choice. And if, if I don't have the support to win, you're still going to get your second choice. And so it eliminates the problem of spoilers and eliminates the problem of split votes. And, uh, and it gives voters that, that power to make those choices. Does it open up new ways to kind of game the system? You know, do voters have to be strategic in different ways? You know, you're thinking about, all right, who's my first choice? Who's my second choice? Won't that also be based somewhat on electability? I, I suppose, yeah, that as you're, as you're um, choosing that you're going to want to think about whether you think the person can win or not, but it's, but the math doesn't end up encouraging uh, strategic voting. You can just pick who you actually like. So if, if, uh, if there's a candidate that you think, you know, he probably doesn't have a chance to win, but I want to vote for him anyway, put him down as your first choice and then have your backup choice be someone that you think has a, a better shot of winning. But what's super cool about that is then as voters, that preference is reflected. As it is today, if you're a third party independent candidate, your voice is ignored. And the voters that want to see those kinds of candidates are, are not taken into account. And I think one of the, the big problems we have in our democracy today is that the system encourages divisiveness. It encourages extremism. Uh, it encourages um, candidates to pander to a base of voters as opposed to going after what I like to call the big middle. And the big middle ends up being ignored. So I think one of the things that we will see in ranked choice voting elections is more uh, centrism, more, more consensus building. Um, and, and that's something that would be a really refreshing change to our politics. So one of the things I've heard you say both here and previously is that um, ranked choice voting will eliminate negative campaign. It might reduce the influence of money in campaigns because a candidate doesn't want to be seen as unlikable in it going out and attacking their opponent. Um, but when you look at what's happened in a place like Maine, which has ranked choice voting statewide, it seems like what it's done is kind of just shift those attack ads from the candidate to a third party, you know, an outside independent super PAC. Is that a concern? Is that any better? Ranked choice voting will help fix those problems, I think, for the reasons you said, because the incentives change. They're, you know, the, the, the better... Uh, approach as a candidate is to seek out consensus with your opponents. And we saw that in Maine, actually, in their governor's race, where two of the candidates cross-endorsed each other. That's unheard of in, a, in, a, in an election that's in our current old system. Uh, so it's real. But, you know, to your, to your question about the money in politics, we've got problems with money in politics in our country. And some of it uh, has to do with Citizens United, and we need to work to, to get rid of that. 
And we've got problems in terms of our need to rebuild our, our democracy, especially after what's been going on the last four years. What I see with ranked choice voting is it's, it's not a panacea, but it will help fix these things. And it is something we can do now today to make things better. And it's worth, it's worth the effort. And you also mentioned ranked choice voting, giving voters more of a voice. And a voter doesn't have to rank all the candidates in ranked choice voting. You can rank as many as you want. You can potentially rank, you know, two candidates out of a five-person field. But one, one concern that's been raised is this issue of exhausted ballots. You know, let's say there are candidates A, B, C, D, and E. I pick A and B as my two choices, and that's it potentially those two candidates can be eliminated before my ballot is counted. And that means my vote doesn't really count, or does it? It's, it's, a, uh, it's, a, it's an issue that gets raised by opponents and it's actually a problem that's worse in our current system. And I'll, I'll use a real world example. In the fourth congressional district where nine candidates ran, 22% went to Jake Auchincloss who won, and by the way, Jake is a big supporter of ranked choice voting, as are all of the other candidates in that race, which uh, tells you something about how widespread the support for this is. But using the definition that, that, um, that you've described, 78% of ballots did not count towards the final outcome. Uh, in a ranked choice election, we see a few percent at most where the phenomenon you described happens. So it, it's, it is not to say, and, and no one uh, believes that ranked choice voting creates uh, the, the perfect outcome, but it is so much better than what we have today. In other words, there may be situations where there are some things that possibly don't work the way you'd like them to in ranked choice, but against the mountain of bad things that we know are happening today, it's a, it's a pretty easy decision. Why do you think the 4th Congressional District would have been better served with ranked choice voting? I think it would have made for a really interesting race because you had some great candidates in that race. You had all great candidates in that race, some interesting people with a lot of different views. And because every candidate had to figure out a way to put together a plurality, I think everybody knew that the winner was going to end up with 20, 25% of the vote. The strategy was, let me figure out who my base voters are and let me go after them and let me figure out how to do this. And and, uh, and, and run a race on that basis. In a ranked choice election, you would have seen candidates reaching out to their opponents to say, listen, we agree on these different issues. Um, you should consider me as your second or your third choice if you're gonna pick you know, this person as your, as your first choice. Um, importantly, uh, two other things. One of them is that two of the candidates dropped out before election day because they were feeling pressure that they were splitting votes with similarly uh, uh, situated kinds of candidates. And so they dropped out. It's one of the reasons those candidates support ranked choice voting. But we also would have seen what the majority of voters in the fourth district wanted. Uh, as it is now, uh, we know that 22% of them wanted Jake Auchincloss, and it's not to say that he wouldn't have won with the majority, uh, but we, we don't know what the majority actually wanted in, in our district. And, and it's, a, it's, it's a missed opportunity that ranked choice voting would have helped enormously. So in Maine, um, litigation over ranked choice voting essentially led to this weird situation where there's ranked choice voting for primary elections and non-presidential federal elections, but not for state level elections because a judge said it was unconstitutional. Um, and there have been questions about 
whether ranked choice voting is constitutional in Massachusetts. So are you concerned that if the ballot question passes, there'll just be kind of a mess of litigation and it will end up in the courts for a while? Not really. And, and it's because over the last few years, as we've been uh, organizing this campaign, and there are thousands of volunteers all across Massachusetts working on this, we've worked with expert lawyers to make sure that we don't have any constitutional issues. So under the federal constitution, there's no question that ranked choice voting is constitutional. Under the state constitution here in Massachusetts, we know it's, it's constitutional because in Cambridge in 1941, the Supreme Judicial Court said that it was that it was uh, constitutional under the Massachusetts Constitution. Maine has a different constitution, and there's particular provisions in there that created some issues for the uh, the state uh, offices, as you, as you pointed out. But Massachusetts is is completely different, and uh, and I think um, it's pretty clear that there isn't a constitutional problem with our ballot question. So the Massachusetts Republican Party has come out in opposition to ranked choice voting. Um, the opponents generally seem to be coming from the conservative end of the political spectrum here. The supporters seem to lean heavily Democratic, although not all of you are Democrats. Is this a partisan issue about which party can get more of its own people elected? Uh, definitely not. And, and our coalition of leaders is completely, well, it's not just bipartisan because we've got Democrats and Republicans, but we also have the endorsement of the state Libertarian Party and the state Green Party. Um, but our endorsers, which run the gamut from former Governor Patrick to former Governor Weld, to Elizabeth Warren and Maura Healey, uh, to former Lieutenant Governor um, Kerry Murphy Healey, to former Senate candidate Gabriel Gomez. This is a, a truly um, uh, popular and broad, broadly supported reform. Uh, and, and as you point out, the opponents are a small handful, and it's a small handful of committed ideological conservatives, and uh, their, their you know, views are, are really out of step with the mainstream of Massachusetts voters on, on so many issues, and, and certainly with ranked choice voting, you see the same thing happening. Evan Falchuk, chairman of the Yes on Two campaign, thank you for joining me. You bet. Now, to get the other side of the issue, I'm joined by Nick Murray a policy analyst with the Maine Policy Institute, which is a nonprofit research institute that describes itself as advancing economic freedom and individual liberty in Maine. Although several municipalities have ranked choice voting, Maine was the first state to adopt it statewide, which it did in the 2016 ballot initiative. After a court challenge, Maine ended up with a hybrid system where it uses ranked choice voting for primary elections and non-presidential federal elections, but not for state-level elections. The Maine Policy Institute opposes the use of ranked choice voting and published a report that described ranked choice voting as a failed experiment. Nick, thank you for joining me. Why is ranked choice voting a failed experiment? Well, thanks for having me on, Shira. I'm glad to share our research that Maine Policy Institute put out last year. Um, it is a failed experiment because it doesn't live up to the claims of proponents. Um, Usually in these campaigns, and we heard it here in Maine, I'm sure folks in Massachusetts are hearing it as well, and uh, in Alaska, where, it all, where it's also being um, put up, um, that it will do a number of things. It will guarantee that the winner has a majority is the, is the biggest claim that you hear. And by our research, more than 60% of those ranked choice voting races 
the winner doesn't have 50% of the total votes cast. It has the winner has 50% of the final round tally. Uh, what's what's interesting about this is that the system requires that in order to get to that quote unquote majority in the final round, certain voters' ballots are exhausted or discarded from that final count. Um, so really what I'm saying is how can a voting system be considered more democratic and more responsive to the voters if it needs to remove voters from the final tally to get to its stated goal of a majority? It simply is a false majority. Well, one argument for ranked choice voting is that it gives voters more choices and a greater voice since they can rank candidates in order of preference. It also means that you avoid a situation where an unpopular candidate might win because two more popular candidates split the vote. So for example, a conservative wins a liberal district because two liberals split the vote. Isn't more choice and a greater voice a good thing? On base, yes, uh, but we need to balance this with other aspects of our voting system that I would argue are integral to its success. We need to make sure that everyone has full potential to fully participate in the election and we need to know that every vote is counted equally. Um, the thing about ranked choice voting is that it uh, incentivizes folks to rank every candidate um, in order to have their vote count to the end. Uh, but what it fails to do is make sure that every voter gets to count equally. So if you never wanted to give your vote to a major party candidate uh, or you just didn't rank a, a, a candidate that ends up in the final round, um, you are not included in that count. So your, your voice uh, is really uh, not, uh, not recognized. Uh, whereas on a regular race, uh, we'd see straight out who voted for who in the final tally. Uh, under ranked choice voting, it's, uh, that's clouded. And, uh, and it's hard to see how, you know, in a system where folks have to be removed from the count in order to get to the goal, uh, that it is really um, giving, letting every voter express their full choice. Um, the sad fact is that it disenfranchises groups of voters who might be lower information voters. Um, they might have English as a second language. Ranked choice voting just makes the process of voting more complex and therefore will disenfranchise voters uh, in the end. Um, so it's, it's really not a fair characterization, I think, to say that uh, all voters get to express themselves better because it does matter uh, whether you understand the system fully or not. So is a main argument of opponents just that voters aren't intelligent enough to understand the complexities of ranked choice voting? Because it seems like that doesn't give a lot of credit to voters. No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that this is inherent in the system. So the data that we've, that we've compiled um, shows that electorates with larger numbers of non-college educated voters, larger numbers of older voters, um, there are more exhausted ballots in those populations. Um, and that's important to look at because exhausted ballots mean that those folks are not, are not then counted. Their votes don't go as far. Their ballots don't go as far as any other voter. But you see this correlation with more exhausted ballots in uh, races where there are more candidates. So, which is, which is a supposed uh, benefit of ranked choice voting is that you get more candidates in a race. Um, with more candidates in a race, you see more exhausted ballots. Also with more experience as electorates have more ranked choice voting elections, uh, you see that rate of ex ballot exhaustion increase. So I'm not saying that it's, 
you know, a certain, I'm not trying to pit certain groups of voters against certain other groups of voters. The fact is that this is an, an inherent um, misstep in the system that folks will be removed from the count. Folks will have their ballots exhausted um, just by virtue of not filling it out fully or correctly. Um, for instance, in regular elections, we have uh, two to 3% um, ballot marking mistakes where, where ballots are cast away that way. In ranked choice voting, we see a 10 or 11% uh, ballot exhaustion rate. And so to me, that doesn't, that doesn't balance out. Um, if we're, we're making it harder on, on average for the average voter to participate, uh, that system is not democratic. And, and uh, even though plurality might not be the best voting system ever, ranked choice voting certainly doesn't make it better. Just to clarify, when you say exhausted ballots, you're talking about you have five candidates, I rank two, those two lose before they even get to rank, get to count my ballot? Yes, that's one way an exhausted uh, ballot would, would be counted. That is referred to an ex is, as an exhausted choice, whereas you can get an exhausted ballot by, for instance, overvoting, where you, you uh, fill in two bubbles of two candidates in the same choice column, or you undervoted, which you left it which means you left it blank, or you left two columns blank on your ballot in between your choices. That's at least how the state of Maine sets that out. Uh, other states can set different different rules about what constitutes um, exhausted ballots. Uh, but yes, that that's the core of it. So Maine and Massachusetts have somewhat different political systems just because Maine has tended to be more friendly to third parties in a lot of cases. Massachusetts tends to be really a two-party state. Some might argue a one-party state, but that's obviously debatable. Um, what is the impact of ranked choice voting on third-party candidates? Well, from our research, we haven't seen, like I said, the claims from proponents bear out in reality. Uh, you will hear that because it allows third-party voters to uh, rank their preferences and maybe put their preferred uh, third-party candidate up first. Um, it, might, it might help third-party candidates gain more representation or more independent candidates gain more representation. We have not seen that bear out in reality, and that's why our, our case really rests on our data and our research about this. Um, so we bring to the table an analysis of 98 ranked choice voting elections from around the country. Um, we don't see that ranked choice voting ends this sort of strategic voting that third party voters point to as a problem uh, in the current system. And in fact, you see it here today in Maine with the Senate race. Um, Susan Collins is the Republican incumbent, Sarah Gideon, the Democratic challenger. You also have a progressive uh, independent, Lisa Savage. Um, but, you know, those progressives should be able to vote Lisa Savage first if they want to rank their, their preference. Uh, but you still see out there that um, Democrats and Sarah Gideon voters are saying that, no, you can't. We can't take the chance of Susan Collins getting over 50% in the first round, so you need to rank Sarah Gideon first. In the way that folks will say that ranked choice voting eliminates strategic voting, I, I would say that it makes that strategizing much more complex. And so, in a way, it, it, uh, it, it has this disparity between folks who fully understand how the system works and can game it out, um, versus folks who don't. So you're asking, you're asking voters to come to the ballot with a much higher threshold of information, not just the candidates, not just the issues, but also you need to understand how to mark your ballot correctly and how to game it out so that your ballot counts in the final round, final, final tally. And your study looked at 96 ranked choice voting elections nationally and found that changed the outcome of an election 17 
percent of the time. What, in what kinds of elections does ranked choice voting actually make a difference in the outcome? Well, um, that's just, you know, this, this was, this was uh, races from all over the country. Um, I, I can't speak to the specific factors of those races that, that determined whether, uh, whether the, um, the difference was made by ranked choice voting because it's different in every election. It's different for every electorate. Proponents of ranked choice voting say it will reduce negative campaigning since it's in every candidate's interest to be liked by voters. Has this happened in Maine? No, not from what we've seen. Uh, the Portland, uh, our, our biggest city, Portland, Maine, has its uh, mayoral race as ranked choice voting. Um, they've, they've had that since uh, 2011, I believe. Um, but you really don't see, even though those candidates are more ideologically aligned than, than most other races, you still don't see that sort of coalition building that we've heard. And this sort of plays to the, the, the idea, the, the sort of flowery language that proponents of ranked choice voting will paint, uh, that this will somehow revitalize democracy. Um, we know that the nature of politics runs much deeper than the way we vote. Um, so it's, it's really hard to see how this trend of increasing spending in campaigns increasing negative campaigning by outside groups. Um, that's a trend that will continue, um, that has built in Maine even more over the last uh, two to four years since we put in ranked choice voting, but I don't think it has anything to do with ranked choice voting. I think it, uh, that's just a nature of our politics um, and that, that won't change anytime soon. So it seems like ranked choice voting really became a partisan issue in Maine after the Republican Congressman Bruce Poliquin got the most first choice votes, but then lost the election to the Democrat who had the second most first choice votes because of ranked choice voting. Here in Massachusetts, we've seen the Massachusetts Republican Party is opposing ranked choice voting, while many, although not all, of the supporters are Democrats. Is this really a partisan issue about who can get their candidate into office? I would caution about drawing those partisan boxes to this. I think it, it is um, a tendency today in politics to see that through that lens. But uh, for instance, the current governor of California, Gavin Newsom, um, he has been quoted as saying the promise of ranked choice voting leads to uh, the promises uh, are not necessarily fulfilled. The promises that it leads to greater democracy are not necessarily fulfilled. Uh, former governor uh, Jerry Brown of California has also come out against it. The Democratic senator from Alaska, Mark Begich, um, says that it adds unnecessary confusion and potentially reduces voter turnout. Um, in addition, the, the co-chair of the Black, Latino, and Asian Caucus of the New York City Council, Democrats, um, are also against this, uh, the NAACP of New York. So, you know, the, if you go to protectmyballot.com, you'll see all of these testimonials, uh, a lot from uh, Democratic politicians and other, other folks uh, on the left. Um, so it does not come down as this partisan fight. Um, I think when folks see how this actually bears out in reality, they, they realize that it, it is in fact not a better system. Um, it is a more confusing system and in that way is less democratic. Nick Murray, a policy analyst with the Maine Policy Institute. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Shira. This has been another episode of the Codcast. You can read more on commonwealthmagazine.org. Thank you for listening. I'm Shira Schoenberg.